You're listening to the One in Six Engineers podcast. I'm your host, Ming Shi, and people across the world connect with each other on the internet in hundreds of different languages. Technology has created some of the world's biggest problems, but global connectivity is not one of them. In season one of the One in Six Engineers podcast, we will explore the biggest challenges and wins in internationalization. Today's story is a tale of two encodings. There is a part of your phone that controls your ability to create and consume content on the internet. It's not the battery life, whether it has 5G or what apps you have installed. You've likely never given it a second of thought, but for millions of people in the country of Myanmar, this critical detail has shaped their internet experience for decades. Myanmar is a country in Southeast Asia, also known as Burma. Today, Myanmar is home to over 54 million people, making it slightly larger than the state of California. The 19th and 20th centuries were characterized by British influence and rule. And during World War II, Myanmar was occupied by Japan. The country became a major battleground and up to 250,000 civilians died. Aung San rose as the leader of the independence movement, and he is known as the father of modern Myanmar. He fought to free Myanmar from British and Japanese rule, but he was actually assassinated before Myanmar finally won independence in 1947. His daughter, Aung San Suu Kyi, eventually became a prominent leader for democracy, and she won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1991 for her stand against the military dictatorship. Her fight is actually still ongoing to this day. Myanmar is a country that is still very unstable, especially due to conflicts between the military junta and Aung San Suu Kyi's party, the National League for Democracy. Myanmar is made up of states with very different ethnic and religious groups. There are many instances of civil conflicts, such as between the military and the ethnic minorities in the Shan state, between the government and the Christian Kachin Independence Army, and between the government and the Rohingya Muslims. Aung San Suu Kyi was elected as the head of government in 2015, and though her time in office has been quite controversial due to her apparent support of the military and its acts of genocide against the Rohingya Muslim minority group. Aung San Suu Kyi was democratically re-elected in November 2020, but on February 1, 2021, the military seized control of the government and arrested her, claiming that she committed election fraud. Since then, they've greatly restricted the ability of civilians to access the internet, and they've committed horrific acts of violence. Due to the lack of connectivity to the internet and social media, the Myanmar people are struggling to be seen by the rest of the world, now more than ever. Unfortunately, this problem is nothing new. Going back to World War II, the idea of computers and networking began with the Allied forces needing a way to break the German codes. The Germans would send a secret message by using a secret letter mapping, like A becomes D, B becomes G, and C becomes K. This mapping would change every day, and the Allies needed a way to efficiently process potential mappings to intercept German communication. Eventually, they came up with the grandfather of modern computers. Today, our computers use a similar method to encode words that we read and write. At a base level, computers only understand numbers, so A is 1, B is 2, and C is 3. This is called text encoding, and in the early days of the internet, different countries had different encoding protocols because they only needed to support their own country's language. So let's say that in America, we mapped A to 1, B to 2, and C to 3, 
And in Canada, they mapped A to 2, B to 3, and C to 4. So if you wanted to chat with your friend who also had an American encoding, and you wanted to message them something like CAB, your computer would encode the message as 312, and your friend's computer would decode the message as CAB. But what if you had another friend in Canada? Their computer would decode that message as B question mark A because their system doesn't have a mapping for the number one and A maps to two and three maps to B. So is this kind of starting to make sense? In the early days of the internet, American universities and the Department of Defense were the primary users of the internet. So everyone used the same American English encoding rules and therefore there wasn't a problem with mixing encodings. However, when the internet became widely available across the world in the early 1990s, the encoding problem became a big hindrance for international communication. This especially slowed down economic development and business efficiency. Thus, the Unicode Consortium was born in 1991. This organization quickly made it their mission to create a universal standard on encoding that would enable any person to communicate to anyone else in any language on any computer or device. They have established a standard character mapping for 154 languages, which totals nearly 150,000 unique characters. Each country gets a block of characters to use, and the Unicode Consortium determines which numbers map to which letters. So 0 to 128 are given to standard Latin characters, which includes all the characters that we generally use, like A to Z, all the capitals, and lowercase. Every computer contains the lookup table for which numbers map to which characters. And in 2001, Myanmar was given the block of characters mapping from 4096 to 4255, and the character mapping was designed. The majority of Myanmar people can read and write Burmese, and minority groups also use the languages Shan, Mon, Kayan, and Kachin. Most people do not understand English. Burmese is a language that consists of a set of 33 consonants and 12 vowels. Like English, Burmese is written from left to right. Modern Burmese actually uses many loanwords from English and some others from Sanskrit, Hindi, and Mandarin. Unlike English, each single character is composed of multiple consonants and vowels. That means the letters on the keyboard need to be combined together to create a single character. It's similar to when we press the letter A on the keyboard and we see a lowercase a on the screen, but we need to press shift then A to get a capital A. Every single character in Burmese, you need to type multiple consonants and vowels. If you type the character sequence wrong, you also might get a typo or you might get a garbled word. Kind of like if you pressed A then shift, you wouldn't necessarily get a capital A. Burmese characters tend to be very circular, so mistyped characters will also appear like empty dotted circles. The encoding system that the Unicode Consortium designed for Burmese, which we're just going to call Unicode Burmese in this episode, was quite difficult for people to use. It's hard for us as English speakers to really understand the struggle because we have a very small set of letters that can be used together to make any word. Burmese word building has extra steps because the set of standalone characters is so much larger than English 
that they don't have a simple keyboard that can just type out all the word possibilities. It's as if our keyboard were composed of lines and curves so that to make the letter L, you have to type a vertical line and then a horizontal line. But also, if you typed a horizontal line and then a vertical line, you would get the letter T. So initially, Unicode Burmese had these kinds of rules, like you needed to type the characters in a certain order. But there aren't the same sort of rules in writing Burmese by hand, so people found it very confusing and difficult to learn. And of course, many people just decided, like, okay, this isn't for me. I don't need the internet. However, seeing an opportunity, a group of developers created a new encoding system using the same code block but with new rules that were much more flexible and intuitive. They named this system Zaji. Zaji is a different way to use the code block dedicated to Myanmar, the code points 4096 to 4255. Zaji is basically an unofficial protocol for Unicode, but to make things simple, we'll refer to the official encoding designed by the Unicode consortium as Unicode, and this alternate option as Zaji. They are both ways to use the code points designated to Myanmar in the Unicode system. Zaji also has a keyboard with consonants and vowels, just like Unicode Burmese, but it was much more visually focused, so there were some repeated characters that varied slightly based on their appearance. It's similar to as if our keyboard had separate keys for uppercase and lowercase letters. This meant that with Zaji, there are often numerous ways a single rendered character can be represented in Unicode code points. So when looking at two words that appear identical, the code points that represent them could be totally different. This causes a few problems, one of which is search. For example, if you tried searching for dogs on Google and you had to type in D-O-G and then capital D-O-G and then like D capital O-G and every permutation of capital and lowercase letters, you'd be pretty annoyed. Another problem is that for social media services like Facebook, content moderation is also a challenge because it becomes much harder to match hate speech and cyberbullying keywords when there are so many ways to type out one word alone. Regardless, Zaji is so popular now that some sources estimate that nearly 90% of people who own a device with internet connectivity have Zaji installed. Speaking of which, most people in Myanmar do not have personal computers, and internet cafes are popular ways for people to get online. When 3G mobile internet became available in 2015, the percent of people who had mobile phones and were regularly using the internet on them rose to 12.6%. Encoding is a system-level setting on the device, so people need to install it on their computers and phones. News sites and tech-savvy bloggers adopted Zaji early on, and that influenced their readers to install Zaji as well. After the early adopters, Myanmar users prefer to go to their local phone shop to purchase phones. The phone shop owner or operator will usually install commonly used apps, such as Facebook, and maybe even set up user accounts. If the phone doesn't have Zaji installed, the operator will install that too. Mobile data is also very expensive, so people often will never update their apps. Part of the reason people are so reliant on their phone shops is due to low technical literacy. 
Today, Myanmar has over 13 million internet users, including 11 million Facebook users. Most websites, such as Wikipedia, do not offer Zaji support, but since 2010, Facebook has been available to Zaji users, which has enabled it to basically be the main source of traffic on the internet. Out of a population of 54 million, one in four people have internet connectivity, and an estimated one in five have a Facebook account. Hi, are you still with me? The fact that Zaji, the unofficial encoding, is dominating user devices is a big, big problem for sure, and the Myanmar government recognized it as one. Not using the same encoding as the rest of the world meant that anything coming out of Myanmar that was encoded with Zaji would also be unreadable to the rest of the world. It significantly slowed down technical literacy and entrepreneurship because of the added layer of text encoding. You and I will literally never have to really think about our text encoding because we get Unicode automatically everywhere. When the whole country is on Unicode, Myanmar will finally be on par with the rest of the world. Luckily, the Unicode consortium made some big improvements in the Unicode user experience, and the new updated Unicode encoding enabled people to type intuitively, just like Zaji, and it also gave them letters used in Myanmar's secondary languages, like Shan, Mon, Kaya, and Karen. On the back end, Unicode uses a deterministic ordering of code points, which means that words that look the same are also represented with the same code points. That fixes the search issue I mentioned earlier and the ability to match hate speech keywords. The new Unicode also is much more user-friendly because it doesn't restrict the user to inputting the consonants and vowels in any particular order, which was, again, one of the main drawbacks of the old Unicode. Thus, on October 1st, 2019, the Myanmar government mandated that everyone must switch to Unicode. They didn't, however, provide any support for this transition, and much of the country still relies on Zaji. With nearly 90% of people needing to switch, only a small number of people have been able to switch independently, meaning they've been able to download and install Unicode on their phones or computers. The government hasn't offered official instructions, but companies like Facebook have kicked off efforts to educate people and support their switch. Myanmar technology users have also become much more tech-savvy, as seen in the rising popularity of Signal, an end-to-an encryption messaging app that prevents the outside parties from spying. This, unfortunately, has left Myanmar in an awkward state of transition. Now, some people, who tend to have more technical expertise and also newer devices, are using Unicode, but they still want to communicate with people on Zaji, which kind of brings us back to the same example I mentioned earlier between you and your friend who lives in Canada trying to message each other with different encoding protocols. So this is the problem that people in Myanmar are experiencing today. How do they communicate with each other? A simple solution that some newspapers and bloggers use is posting the same thing in both encodings. Often, they'll have a section that is posted in Unicode, and then pasted below is the same content that's Zaji encoded. So going back to our earlier example, it would be like if you sent a message with both encodings, you would send 312 and 
four, two, three, which would enable both you and your Canadian friend to be able to decode the message. In Myanmar's case, if you're on Unicode, you'll be able to read half of the post, and if you're on Zaji, you'll be able to read the other half. But since each half is identical in content except for how they're encoded, pretty much everyone will be able to read the message of the post. However, it's pretty inefficient because every single time you post something, you have to manually post it in both encodings. And on top of that, it just doesn't look very good. It does work. And many news sites and bloggers opt to do this. They'll use one of the many popular converters, such as one called Rabbit Converter, which is able to convert Zaji encoded text to Unicode encoded text and vice versa. I'm also going to leave a link to Rabbit Converter in the show notes, so feel free to visit my website at oneinsixengineers.com if you want to check it out. Other platforms like Facebook detect the encoding of the content, such as a message from friend to friend, and then they figure out which encoding is installed on the receiving device, and finally they perform conversion when necessary before displaying the content to the user. Because Unicode and Zaji are just different ways to use the code block given to Myanmar, and remember there's a limited number of code points, they actually map different characters to the same code points. Therefore, while it's easy to tell if a sequence of code points is any type of Myanmar text just by looking at what the code points are, it's impossible to tell if it's using Unicode or Zaji encoding. So in other words, they use different rules to act on the same code points. So when we use Unicode to decode the code points, the resulting text could look totally readable. And when we use Zaji to decode them, the resulting text makes absolutely no sense. The most similar experience I can think of without actually showing you anything is like when your computer doesn't know the new emojis yet, so it just shows you an empty box. You know what I'm talking about? But in this case, misrendered Burmese characters will show up as incomplete characters or just total nonsense phrases. I have included some samples on my website, so definitely go check out the show notes. It makes a lot of this a lot more clear. For now, let's just take two friends, Ursula and Zachary, who use an app called Tweetbook to message each other. Ursula's phone has Unicode installed and Zachary's has Zaji. Just remember that this means that on Ursula's phone, when she's typing out a message to Zachary, her keyboard is going to show her the Unicode set of supported characters. And on Zachary's phone, his keyboard is going to have the Zaji supported set of characters. And these are different characters. If they tried messaging each other, they'd see their own messages totally fine, but the others would just look like incomplete nonsense words. And that's because their phone is taking code points encoded with one mapping and decoding it with a different mapping. In the solution, there are three steps that we need to take to enable Ursula and Zachary to understand each other. First, we need to know Zachary's device encoding, Next, Ursula's message encoding, and finally, how to convert between Unicode and Zaji. When Ursula sends Zachary a message, his phone receives a set of code points. 
First, to determine Zachary's device encoding, we can take advantage of the fact that in one encoding, combining several code points will combine consonants and vowels to create a single character. Whereas in the other encoding, they don't. They just kind of sit next to each other as discrete sentence parts that just don't form any single word. And so we can measure the pixel width of the text that is rendered to determine which font encoding the device is using. Usually this is done in the HTML with an invisible or hidden element that's rendered with a small piece of Burmese and the renderer is able to measure how long the text looks. The next challenge is to identify the encoding of the message. Many methods have been explored, including a regular expression approach and some proprietary models. But the most successful and widely used today was created by researchers at Google. It's an open source library called Myanmar Tools that uses a machine learning algorithm. This model is trained on several megabytes of data from various Burmese text samples across the internet. The algorithm assesses the probability that a given message was encoded with Zaji or Unicode. The final problem is matching Ursula's message encoding to Zachary's device encoding. Like I mentioned earlier, Rabbit Converter is one solution and Google's Myanmar Tools is another. All of these converters use a very large set of rules to convert between one encoding and the other. To do Unicode to Zaji encoding is actually quite straightforward because Unicode is deterministic and much more simple than Zaji. Zaji, if you remember, has duplicate characters. And the example I used earlier was if our keyboard had separate keys for lowercase a and uppercase a. Zaji's encoding is also not deterministic. So different words will have different orderings of the encoding code points. And that ultimately becomes kind of a challenge to convert between Zaji to Unicode. And there isn't actually a widely known metric for how accurate any of these converters or detectors are. Some apps and browsers use this three-step approach to enable people with different device encodings to send each other messages, read each other's content, and to browse the internet. Many others have just opted to only be available to Unicode users. Very popular websites such as Wikipedia have never been available to Zaji. Most Myanmar people tend to own Android devices such as Xiaomi, Huawei, and Samsung, and they usually come installed with Zaji. Some people actually have very old devices now that do not even support the Unicode upgrade. Most people frankly don't care about device encoding, but some people can't even afford to. Myanmar is very poor, and the technical literacy rate is very, very low. For massive apps like Facebook, dropping support for people on Zaji would simply be unfair and potentially dangerous, especially in the case of Facebook, because they've actually been accused of inciting violence against the Rohingya people, who are a Muslim minority group of Myanmar who were the target of a military-backed genocide in 2016. Remember from earlier, Following democratic elections on February 1st, 2021, the elected leader Aung San Suu Kyi was arrested and the military declared a state of emergency. As part of the military coup, they banned social media networks such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and they also turned off internet service entirely from 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. every day. And these internet outages only become longer and longer. 
Technological literacy has become increasingly important in Myanmar with the conflicts between the military and the people. End-to-end encrypted messaging and apps like Signal and WhatsApp are a priority now for people who fear being detained by police for what they say online. Most people do know how to use VPNs to get around the bans on social media, but ultimately the gap between those who are tech-savvy and those who aren't is only going to get bigger. The disconnect between Zajing and Unicode inhibits large-scale organization efforts, and it risks leaving the most vulnerable groups of people behind. For more information about today's podcast, including sources, transcript, and show notes, visit oneandsixengineers.com. I'd really encourage you to visit and see some of the examples I have of Unicode and Zaji and how they're different and the problems with text rendering and just really try and experience exactly the pain that the people of Myanmar experience when using technology and the internet. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to hear more stories about technology and internationalization, please follow me on Instagram at 1in6engineers to be notified when new episodes are available. I've been your host, Ming Shi, and this episode was A Tale of Two Encodings. <laughs>